Welcome back to the Green Element podcast, where we feature business leaders and innovators transforming their operations to be more environmentally and socially sustainable. I'm your host, Will Richardson, and I can't wait to meet our guest today and help you on your journey of sustainability. Welcome to the Green Element podcast, Russ. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really looking forward to talking to you about what it is that you're doing. We met on LinkedIn. Um, You're pretty vocal on LinkedIn and you've got a lot of followers and a lot of people who listen to what it is that you're doing because you're always seem really keen to help people and help them understand their marketing and what to do and how to promote themselves. And I thought, or we thought that this would be a really good opportunity to discuss that and talk about how you do that and whether you can give any tidbits to those organizations that are sustainable and what they can do better. So thank you very much for joining the show. Thanks very much for having me, Will. It's great to be here. Can you tell us a bit about where you started and what got you into marketing? Yeah, I will do my best to give you the nutshell version of uh, how I ended up. (laughs) I graduated from university with a degree in languages, so completely unrelated to what I'm doing now. So graduated in 2007 into a recession, so that was fun. Terrible job climate. In the same situation with all my friends, very few of us had done vocational degrees. I didn't actually want to use my languages in terms of being an interpreter, a translator or anything like that. So I did temp jobs for a couple of years and then I worked out what I actually wanted to do for a career. So I kind of took a step back and thought about what I'm passionate about and what I enjoy, whether I had qualifications in it or not was irrelevant at that stage. And I've always been deeply passionate about wildlife and the natural world and the environment. And I think that just stems from, it's a massive cliche, but it's true. It stems from watching David Attenborough as a kid, like every you know Sunday night um, and being absolutely fascinated with wildlife and stuff. And I was very outdoorsy. My parents are really outdoorsy. We had really good outdoor camping holidays and stuff. I grew up in Scotland in amazing countryside. That's where it started. So I went back to uni So I went back to the Open University in 2009 and started doing a distance learning course in natural and environmental sciences, Um, not just because I was interested in it, but because I knew that I would have to have something on my CV when I was applying for positions that showed that I really did care because I'd be up against people who had just graduated with geography or environmental related degrees. So I started studying um, at the Open University while I was looking for jobs and then a great opportunity came up for a kind of admin and social media assistant at a small ocean conservation charity called SeaWeb, which is a US-based charity, but they had a small London office. Um, I thought this is, this is perfect. It's a foot in the door. So I applied for that while I was studying at the AU and I got the job. And from there, everything rolled. So that's where my journey began. So that was in 2010, where I started working for SeaWeb. So you know, it's actually only nine years ago that I was an admin assistant for a tiny charity. So the journey has been absolutely crazy. Um, And I was at SeaWeb for two years, which was uh, really great. Like we did a lot about sustainable seafood, um, ocean acidification, marine protected areas and stuff. Basically all the stuff that we're seeing way more in the news these days than we were back in 2010 to 12 when I was there. So that's really interesting. And then... Actually, my wife and I were expecting our first child. So we moved from London out to Farnham, which was kind of the trigger for 
moving on from SeaWeb and looking for my next job. And then the stars really aligned because I found uh, we moved to, from London to Farnham in Surrey, which is a small town in Surrey, about 45 minutes west of London. And I found a job for a small sustainability consultancy called Carbon Credentials, who were looking for a marketing and communications manager. So I was shooting way above my station based on the experience I had in marketing at that point in 2012. But as it turns out, they were a much smaller company than I thought they were. And it was kind of perfect for both of us because they were looking for someone who they could afford to pay, you know, a Farnham-based salary for a startup of five people. And I didn't have as much experience as your typical marketing and communications manager at that point. So I joined them in 2012 and it was a proper baptism of fire, really steep learning curve. And that's when I really found my true calling because I'd only really started doing a bit of social media when I was at SeaWeb, which was great. So I've I've got a lot to thank social media for, like my effectively my whole career because basically back up a step i mean you must be one of the only few people to say that (laughs) yeah it's it's crazy to to back up a step um so at sea where basically um twitter and youtube were really coming to the fore for business use uh so i said you know we should be on these as a charity it's a perfect opportunity to spread the message about ocean conservation out there so i volunteered and started doing that so i've got into social media at SeaWeb, and then at carbon credentials i just got to do like almost everything and learn everything. And it was a really steep learning curve, really good fun and an incredible growth story. So I joined Carbon Credentials as a company of five people in Farnham in 2012. And I left in 2016 when we were 50 people based on Regent Street in central London. So four years, like nuts, absolutely nuts, like amazing growth, like amazing learning opportunity, like, brilliant team, great friends. And and then in 2016, um, I got poached by a competitor who were called Sustainable Commercial Solutions at the time um, to be their marketing director. And I joined them, rebranded them into Evora, which is like pretty much the first thing that I did. And then I was with Evora for two years, just under two years before I left to, to go solo. So I went solo under Russ Avery Consulting in April 2018, so about 15 months ago, which is nuts. I'll stop talking now, Will, in case I'm... No, not at all. (laughs) Not at all. And so you haven't really done yourself justice by... You will have learned so much. And I think potentially in the first role, you would have ended up learning a lot from your mistakes, which I think is... Although everyone says that, oh, that's a really bad way to learn. You should learn off other people's mistakes. But I think it really, really ingrains in you what it is that you did right and wrong. And I think it almost makes you better. I mean, I'm a a person that learns from mistakes. So therefore, I'm obviously going to say that. (laughs) I do think there's an element of truth in that. And so what would you say were your biggest key things that you can take from that role? What, SeaWeb? Or... others. No, sorry, Carbon Credentials, yeah. Um, the biggest thing in those four years, I probably have to say, you know, learning from, like being more open to learning from people who were more senior to me. I'd say like, I mean, compared, like in 2012 compared to now, so when I first joined Carbon Credentials, like obviously completely different person as I think we all tend to be seven years later or whatever. But I was probably a bit more cocky back then, probably not as willing to listen to advice 
from other people and stuff. So I think that's definitely a learning because then in hindsight, when you look back, you think, yeah, there were some mistakes there that I could have avoided if I'd listened to X mm. or whatever. Read tons. So I'm completely self-taught marketer. So I've done a few courses I've done when I was already in the job. So I've done a Google course um, in digital marketing and some other stuff. But, you know, for three years, I've completely self-taught. And that's purely from reading a lot. And I'm with you, Will, so making mistakes your own. Like, if you don't make the mistakes yourself, like, yeah, sure, learn from other people's mistakes that are big ones so that you don't have to fall down any Mm -hmm. huge traps and, you know, save yourself a lot of pain, money, stress, whatever it might be. But I'm totally with you. If you don't make your own mistakes, it won't be ingrained in you, like you said earlier. So fail fast, fail often, and fail better. So that's that's the thing. And, you know, I think there are loads of quotes out there, but, you know, they're all true. That's why they're cliches. So, like, you know, fail fast, fail often, fail better. And, you know, I didn't fail. I just moved from one idea that didn't work to the next one is the way you need to look at things. And it's amazing how many people don't do this. This is why I want to say it. Make use of the internet. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? But you can find anything out there. There are so many amazing blogs, articles now, podcasts, obviously, are huge. Yeah, YouTube. videos. Yeah, and just make use of it. Like, chances are what you're searching for has already been searched for dozens of times before. And so, therefore, someone has written a really good article, blog post, YouTube video on it, and it's a fantastic way to upskill yourself for free. That's so, brilliant. Yeah. And getting into the nitty gritty, um, you talked about you went on a Google course, you went on a social media course. If you were starting out on your journey as a sustainability, and not a sustainability consultancy, actually any organization, I guess it actually goes through any organization, be it you're um, sustainable or not. What would you say you should look at to start off with? Should you be looking at Google Analytics to start off with or should you actually be looking at everything? Okay, so that's a really good question. I, in the last 15 months, I have been helping companies who have either not done something from day one and so now they're playing catch up with their competitors. So there's a kind of sense of urgency there or they have done a great job from the start but they're now looking to take things to the next level. And so although there is no one-size-fits-all approach, there kind of is with the basics. Mm-hmm. So I would say create a strong brand from the start. And the reason for that is because in the last 15 months alone, I've helped do three complete rebrands and two like brand refreshes for consultancies who just have really weak, really weak visual brands. So like a logo that founder designed themselves using paint or something (laughs) and like a website that they built themselves using Wix or something like that. And I get it that you're a startup, you've got limited funds, but the problem that I've come across is that, okay, here I am startup with limited money because need to go out there and make clients. Marketing at the moment is just an afterthought. That is the mistake because then they are paying for it much more than they wanted to like three years later or 18 months later. And it's just such a critical part of your business. And people have come to me saying, we started in exactly the same year as these guys. And yet they are everywhere and they seem to be known and we're, we're not, we're like a really well-kept secret. And I'm like, well, yeah, like compare you both, like compare your digital footprint online compare your branding, like compare the events that you're going to. You guys are totally not putting yourselves out there. 
in the same way that these guys are. So of course they're, they're better known than you are and their brand's more recognizable, et cetera, et cetera. There's always this kind of penny drop moment where people go, oh yeah, true. Like, and then, you know, they're like, okay, tell me, like, how do I start using LinkedIn, for example? You know, should we be on YouTube? Should we be using Google Analytics? The answer is yes, by the way, to Google Analytics. (laughs) But we'll be chatting about that later anyway, Will. (laughs) And I think you actually answered it. And I think I almost was asking a leading question that was wrong just then. You've answered it in a different way. You've actually said, starting off, you need to good name, good logo, get out there. So be on LinkedIn, talking to people, networking online, writing blog articles, getting tweets out, getting, if you decide Facebook is a good medium for you. I should clarify. Can I clarify something on the visual brands? Because it's really important. So although I said that, what I don't want people to do, if there's anyone listening to this who's at that startup stage, I'm not saying spend thousands on creating a visual brand. I just want to make that really clear because someone might have misinterpreted what I said. But basically, with everything that's available to us these days, with sites like People Per Hour and Fiverr and stuff, you can go and get a logo made professionally by a graphic designer for yeah. very, very little cost. And what I'm saying is they will do a really good job for you. Yeah, then you don't do it yourself and do some yeah, don't do it yourself and do a crappy job yeah. to save fifty dollars. Yeah. Go and get someone to do it for you. It will make the world of difference. You won't then be spending three grand on doing a rebrand in yeah. three years' time. That's just yeah. what I wanted to make. No, I, th- I think that's really important. We um I got one of my best mates um to do our logo and he did such a great job. And it's so simple. And you don't need to go for complex stuff either do you and try and be all clever and just no, i would say <laughs> i'm not a graphic designer but i play the role of creative director quite a lot and i work with graphic designers on a daily basis so a little tidbit for you guys when you're thinking about your logo because of the age we live in the digital age think how your logo looks as a standalone icon where it might appear as a you know as a smartphone app for example because you want to future proof yourself is what i'm saying so the green element logo, for example, you can use your three green lines in isolation. You know, you've got the icon elements, your logo that don't doesn't need to appear next to the word green element, for example. Mm-hmm. So it's things like that. Just think, how is it going to appear as a favicon? You know, a favicon is the little thing that appears at the top of a browser tab, for example. Yeah. You know, have you got something, have you got an element of the logo that can appear there? All these kinds of things. So think about the digital footprint. Think about your social media profile photos for your company social media accounts, all that kind of stuff. Um, but as I said, a good graphic designer will be bearing all this in mind anyway when they execute it for you. Cool. And so we've touched upon the sort of stuff that you can do at the beginning of your journey and in order to make yourself more. What are the common mistakes that you see happening within consultancies? Second to just not putting themselves out there enough so not doing the brand awareness piece well enough and just making sure that they are on people's radar is probably back to marketing basics, which is a classic, which is selling their services and solutions way more from the features angle rather than the benefits angle. So I've done a lot of copy rewriting and positioning of services for people to tell a story much better and to sell the benefits. So this is really back to basics. So features tell, but benefits sell. So sure, you're selling um, uh, some sort of compliance-driven audit service or something, and it will help them you know, tick a box or whatever, but what's the actual benefit? Well, the benefit is probably that it's a small 
piece of work that for the organization that is taking sustainability seriously will unlock the next part of their journey because it acts as a driver to do something much more impactful later on. Or the benefits might be saving you you know, time, stress and money because we'll take off that pressure for you as, as Green Element. You know, we'll do that job for you. You'll look better to your boss. It might be that, you know, we'll help you mm. on your career. And that's actually what, you know, if you think of it in our terms, Will, that's what sustainability consultants will suddenly take notice of when they see that, you know, whether it's a tweet or a social media post, if you're talking in terms of the benefits that you're providing them, yeah. not the features yeah. like, oh, our, our environmental management system service, you know, does this, 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 and this. It's like, yeah, but so what, you know, make it like, tell me in my terms, like make it real yeah. to me. And if you guys, if anyone out there has got many different sectors that prospects and their clients come from, then you need to do a persona exercise, a bio persona exercise to tailor your messaging based on the job titles that you typically tend to go after. And then things will really start. That's, to that's so hard. Charlie. Made <laughs> yeah. But weirdly, it comes up more and more now. Like people, I think possibly because we are going to that next level. Um, people are starting to ask us and they say, so um, who does your person look like? And actually at the beginning, I was like, I don't know, whatever. And now I actually have a person in mind. It's really weird. <laughs> I actually can describe and it's kind of like all of our clients amalgamated into one. There you go. It's, it's weird. But, you know, you can go, <laughs> depending on sectors and stuff and obviously how much time and money you've got to spend on these exercises, people Again, Google Analytics, absolutely amazing. You literally, you know, because you can learn demographics of people, you know, where yeah. where do they tend to be based? What age range do they tend to be from? What gender oh, wow. are they? About that. Yeah, so, you know, obviously it's less important for B2B consultancies, sure, but, you know, B2C brands, as you can imagine, will be looking at Google Analytics stats to see age range, gender. So are most of their customers male or female? Are they between 18 and 30 or are they actually between 45 and 60 years old? Mm. And again, because of the scary data-driven world we live in, you have access to all that information through Google Analytics. So, yeah. Yeah, I know. It and is. social media analytics as well. So inbuilt analytics on Instagram telling you exactly who's been viewing your posts, like where they're based, how old they is are. That right? Yeah. Instagram's got that. Yeah. We've just started doing a marketing thing for Compare Your Footprint and they're they're not focusing on Instagram, but Instagram is a big part of it. Oh, that's cool. I may go on to Instagram in a couple of weeks and see how that's going. Yeah, <laughs> what would you say your business superpower was? I will go for what other people have told me rather than what I think it is myself, because I figure that must be right. And I'd say, <laughs> I, yeah, I'd say it's just building really good rapport with my clients and like creating really good relationships with them. Yeah. So a lot of my clients are now good friends to be honest i've become really good friends with them over the last 15 months or so and i mean how important is that Mm. to Mm. creating a job for yourself which then ends up not really feeling like work because you're helping your mates out you know it's awesome and i know you guys have got that because you only need to obviously i've done some work on looking at the green element website and stuff but i can tell that out of your client base there are some really strong relationships there where they've done they've done work with you because of will because they're people that you've known you know so that counts for so much and it's the same for me so okay for a start guys there are loads of independent marketing consultants out there so that's really important um two differentiators one is that i've got my niche which is 
marketing for sustainability focused businesses that instantly gives me gives me a one up on just any other marketing consultant out there that some of these companies could choose and the second differentiator is simply that i'm me and that's what we've all got but you know how is your personal brand how are you putting yourself out there like what is your personal brand what does it look like on your digital footprint like you mentioned earlier that i was really active on linkedin so i've got you know, LinkedIn fam, which is a phrase and a hashtag you might have seen, it's a real thing because I've got people, I've got friends on LinkedIn who I've never met because they live in America or on the other side of the world or whatever, but they have followed my LinkedIn journey specifically since I started doing LinkedIn videos, for example, back in August 2018, who like they watch and read everything that I'm posting on LinkedIn. They know who I am. They know what my brand is all about. And I get inbound leads as a result because of it. You know, I just shared, it's nuts. Well, I shared a video on Friday last week about reviving a bee, you know, with yeah, sugar. I, that. Water. I, did, I did actually see that. Like LinkedIn. So that's had over 500 likes and over 20,000 views. Right. It's absolutely crazy. And this is why we should talk about this in a bit because I'm obviously getting ahead of myself, but we should talk about LinkedIn a bit and why people should absolutely be using it mm. to its full yeah. potential in 2019 because there's no other channel where you can get that kind of reach, like period, at the moment. So if you're still, if anyone out there is still using LinkedIn as a platform for their digital CV and for job-related stuff, then you're missing a massive trick because LinkedIn is a content publication platform that can help boost your personal brand, your business profile, and generate you new clients. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I would say that LinkedIn is almost a crossover between online digital all all kind of digitalness and people yeah it's a way of using digital it's probably the best way of using digital in the professional workspace to your best advantage by like you just said you've got people that you talk to in all over the world i was going to say the us but all over the world and they're not just seeing a reading something it's not just digital they're actually seeing you they're seeing your personality they're seeing who you are and i think that's what what i've learned from charlie is that kind of crossover and i think people are quite quick to think oh online digital there's no personality involved in that and we're going down the automated email marketing route yeah a lot of people go, oh, yeah, no, that's not for us. That's just digital only. But again, that is a way of understanding who you're talking to and what it is that they're doing and then starting to talk to people um, in what they're interested in and picking up the phone, knowing that you can pick up the phone and talk to someone that actually wants to talk to you rather than pick up the phone going, well, I don't know if they're going to like this. I'm hoping they will. Cold call. Brilliant. Yeah. And I think LinkedIn is absolutely brilliant for that. It's amazing. Yeah. So completely agree with everything you just said. And something that has really helped the crossover that you mentioned between the digital and the people is um, LinkedIn video and also LinkedIn local, which is a massive global movement of meeting up with your LinkedIn connections in real life. So I think Charlie's the LinkedIn local Nottingham host, for example, yeah. isn't she? Yeah. yeah so I, I'm the LinkedIn local Farnham host. I started it in January. We now do monthly events and it's just fantastic it's a way to meet people that might live literally next door to you who you've never met before because you until you yeah set up linkedin local but linkedin video 
adds the personal touch that you mentioned earlier and really helps because you can hide, anyone can hide behind words that you're typing, right? Which is why you think, oh, digital load of rubbish, because you can write whatever you want and it's not really you. You can obviously be faking, you know, your style and your personality. If you show up on video, it's much, much harder to act, you know, <laughs> act as someone else. So video has added a real authenticity to to communications and it's an amazing way to build up your personal brand, which if you're uh, an independent consultant like I am, my personal brand and Russ Avery Consulting are one and the same thing. They're, they're exactly the same thing, which is exactly why I didn't name my company something really cool and funky because Russ Avery was already known in the sector that I wanted to be in, like having worked in sustainability in London and the Southeast for the last six years. Mm. So if I called myself Adlock Marketing or something, I would have been starting from scratch effectively because people already yeah. knew my name. Yeah. I've got LinkedIn to thank for that, definitely. Mm. Yeah. Oh, uh, Cool. The next big one for me, which you guys, you know, you're looking at it through compare your footprint and stuff. So let me know how it goes. But I've in the last maybe six to nine months, I've been focusing a lot more on Instagram because Instagram has IGTV. It has live streaming and I don't have access to the LinkedIn live feature yet. So it's another really good way of being able to invite your followers into your life, like show them a behind the scenes video of me working on renewability designs or something for example or this is me in a client workshop and be able to like live photo that it's just a fantastic engagement tool so you've just brought up renewability brilliant that was my segue see i told you I'd brilliant awesome well done <laughs> <laughs> so that t-shirt you're wearing what a great design thanks for what, noticing what, well. is that? what is that design what is this company <laughs> okay so in march this year which is nuts because that's obviously only, um, I don't know, four months ago or something. I went to Amsterdam on business for Green Build Europe. So I went there with my clients in Sustain, which is a German, a Berlin-based uh, sustainability consultancy to help them at Green Build, where they were the gold sponsor. So that's the background. But while I was in Amsterdam, my hotel was really close to an interactive museum that a friend had recommended to me called Fashion for Good. And... I can't recommend it highly enough, guys. If you go to Amsterdam, please drop into Fashion for Good. It's a free interactive museum. So you walk around the rooms with, do you have a headset on? No, you don't have a headset on, but you have a kind of clicker thing that you can tap next to sensors on each of the features and you can make pledges as you go around. So you're walking around this museum and it teaches you all about the global fashion industry. And you start in the basement and it teaches you about the production of the cotton, for example how it's grown, how many litres of water is used to create just one, you know, cotton t-shirt. And the figures will, will really shock you, by the way. We'll touch on them later. And then you can make pledges with your little beeper as you go around saying, I would only buy 100% cotton clothes, not synthetic fabrics, or I will only air dry my clothes and I'll stop using the tumble dryer, for example, and all these different pledges. And then at the end, well, after about an hour, you've done all three floors and you've been really, you know, you've clued up and eye-opening experience to huge environmentally detrimental effects of the fashion industry. And then you you touch your beeper on the screen at the end and all your pledges come up and then you can email them to yourself and stuff. So yeah, really amazing experience. So I left there thinking, wow, I can really easily change my own clothes buying habits and my own fashion behaviors. You know, not that I was that bad anyway, because I'm not into fast fashion, which means I don't buy things for, you know, one season or anything like that. And then 
give them away or throw them out three months later when that season's finished. I've, I've never done that. I buy clothes kind of as and when I need them and, you know, mm. probably fit the average male, like, kind of habit. Absolutely. Um, I, I think that's a fair, fair statement, you know. To give you an anecdote, I bought a jumper from a Cornish company called, oh man, I can't remember their name now, but they've got shops all over the UK and they've got a shop in Brighton and I went in there and I was like, where's your men's part? And they went, we haven't had a men's part for about two years now. I went, oh, that was the last time I bought a jumper. <laughs> yeah, and that's the reason why we don't have a men's department anymore. Because men buy enough. They that's literally amazing. buy something. And that kind of says it all, really, doesn't it? That says it all. So um, <laughs> I thought, okay, well, that's easy. And yeah, I can definitely up my game on using the tumble dryer less, um, making sure I'm always doing cool washes and stuff. And I was doing a lot of this anyway, being obviously quite environmentally conscious but i thought i wonder if i can take it to the next level somehow and bizarrely uh, it's really weird how things work out i came across tmill which is the platform that i'm using so i'll do my best to explain tmill really quickly to those of you who are listening so there's a clothes company based on the isle of Wight called rapa nui and a lot of you will have heard of them because they're established clothes company and they are a sustainable ethical clothing brand based on the Isle of Wight who have had the most amazing journey over the last, I think only maybe like 10 years or so. And they have unlocked their supply chain of all their garments and their printing technology and process, which is an amazing renewable energy powered factory on the Isle of Wight, which uses um, low waste print on demand technology. And then they've built T-Mill, which is a, an online platform for anyone to create a website and launch a brand using their supply chain. So I was like, no, something's not right here. <laughs> and I told them this. I was like, this, there must be a catch because, you know, there are very few side hustles that you don't need to put some kind of capital like into to get going and stuff. So I just thought there must be a catch. So I kind of dug into T-Mill a bit and there really wasn't one. It's just... Um, you know, obviously your brand will only be as successful as you make it through marketing and stuff. But I thought, well, I've got nothing to lose. Say I will set myself a goal of launching a sustainable and ethical fashion brand within, I think I I set myself eight weeks as a goal. So it was the end of March. And I said, by the 30th of May, I have to have it live. So I got cracking in my evenings and weekends. Renewability was born. Um, By the way, I wanted sustainability but someone had already taken it. <laughs> I know that consultancy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's sustainability with a T-double-E at the end, as in T-shirt. Oh, uh, yeah. okay, I have that. So, yeah, yeah, and it's another T-mill brand. Is it? So someone had had exactly the same idea that I'd had, and really? they've created sustainability <laughs> on T-mill, so I was like, oh, damn. So uh, renewability was choice number two, and I thought it, it sounded like, really cool anyway. Um created a logo, did all the things that I know how to do as a marketer that we just talked about earlier well up front. And then I had to, I had well, it's a t-shirt business. So I had to teach myself some basic graphic design and come up with some t-shirt designs that aligned to the brand that I was trying to create, which is taking what team would have done to the next level. So renewability is all based around the environment and sustainability. So if you look at our designs, there's a lot of mountains uh the ocean uh the kids range is all wildlife based and they're they're the best sellers so far so i found an amazing set of like beautiful polygon animals um giraffes sharks manta rays pandas you name it or and they're for the kids tees and now i've already been asked them if i can like why they're not available as adults tees as well so i'm now potentially gonna 
create them in the adult sizes as well. Um, but basically, yeah, eight weeks from idea to going live with renewability was the journey there. And it's just a side hustle. I'm doing it with a friend of mine called Tim. This is great coming full circle. I met Tim at the first LinkedIn local Farnham in January. Oh, okay. So he's just a local guy who turned up to that, met him there. He is now my business partner on renewability. He's a graphic designer and all around digital creative. So he's helped me with some of the designs. So our crest is a leaf which represents the organic cotton that's used. The sun represents the solar energy because both the factories in North India and the Isle of Wight are powered by solar and wind energy. The water represents the both the rainwater from the monsoons that's used to irrigate the cotton. So they're not having to take water from elsewhere, but also the closed loop water recycling that they use in the factory, which is incredible. So in your average cotton factory, when there's a lot of water that's used in the actual processing process as well, and when that comes out, it's really, really dirty waste effluent that pollutes water. When it comes out of our factory, it's potable drinking water. Right. Um, which is phenomenal. So that's what the droplet represents. And then the um, the circle with the arrows, which is where it gets seriously cool, and this is all down to what Rapa Nui have done, represents the fact that when you your clothes are full of holes and at the end of their life, which is hopefully in many, many years, obviously, you can send them back to Rapa Nui free of charge. You get money off your next order and they turn it into a new T-shirt. Right. So it's proper, <laughs> yeah, circular economy. Um, right. It's the future of like cotton fashion and it's just amazing. That's brilliant. I love it. It's a great story. So before we just started, Will just told me about an amazing company, which is turning ocean plastic into sunglasses no 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 so they're turning a plastic bottle into sunglasses ah. they actually spoke to loads of and it actually ties into what you were talking about they spoke to loads of professors and realized that you can't turn ocean plastics into stuff because it just doesn't work and it breaks down and at, and he told me about the breaking down and then you oh, right. said exactly yeah, what you've said yeah. and it, both of you said in a very different way, a very similar thing. Okay, thanks for clearing that up. That's really useful. <laughs> so for anyone out there who has seen these clothes companies, which look, you know, they're, it's really annoying. Their heart is in the right place. Um, but there are lots of clothes companies out there cropping up now and they are taking ocean plastic and they're weaving it into synthetic fibres, which they can make clothes out of. And they can even make stretchy clothes, which replicates what's the material I'm looking for, you know, like spandex like nylon stuff yeah so they're now able to create stretchy fabric which can be used as swimwear for example so swimming costumes swimming trunks the problem guys is that that material is made out of ocean plastic it's made out of plastic every time that gets washed or probably when you're wearing it in the sea or the swimming pool as well microfibers are released and it's crazy these are effectively the worst kind they're getting in their microfibers as the name implies tiny 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 fragments of plastic and they're making their way into the food chain at the very very bottom level so they have found plankton and tiny krill and stuff now with plastic in their stomachs because they're consuming microfibers and unsurprisingly that's making its way up the food chain fish eat the plankton etc etc seals eat the fish you know there's ocean plastics in polar bears from the food that they've eaten and the food that they've eaten etc so that is the problem with these companies that are now making clothes out of recycled ocean plastic. Like, amazing initiative, amazing thing that they're trying to do. But sadly, it's like kicking the can further down the street as opposed to actually solving 
solving a problem. And I read a really interesting post about it on Instagram the other day by, I can't remember her name, but um, if you're on Instagram, follow Trashes for Tossers. And she's an amazing woman. She did the original TEDx talk about her low waist life where she she could fit all her waist from one year in, into a glass mason jar. It's her. I think her name's Lauren something. Yeah. So Trashes for Tossers on Instagram. She wrote a post about it. And I just suddenly thought, you know, oh yeah, duh, like light bulb moment. And that's why, you know, don't just carry on wearing the clothes that you've got because that's the most sustainable option. So the most sustainable option is the clothes that you already own in your wardrobe. Uh, that's a well-known saying for a reason because it's true. It doesn't matter what they're made out of. The fact that you already own them means that they're the most sustainable option. So carry on wearing them until you can't wear them any longer and they're full of holes. But apart from that, buy real fiber, uh, real material. So 100% organic cotton. So not a single tiny bit of plastic will ever go into the ocean from any of our renewability teas, which is really important to me. So they're 100% organic cotton. The label's made out of cotton. The packaging they arrive to you in is made out of a really amazing paper. I should have brought it actually to show you, but a really amazing paper that's made out of the, the dregs off the factory floor. So that's made out of cotton as well, no plastic. And yeah, we've just got to solve this ridiculous plastic crisis that we're that we're living in at the moment. And fashion is, uh, is definitely has a massive role to play in that, for sure. And you were saying The Fight on Plastic by Hugh Fernley Whittingstall was really good. That's right, yeah. So I'm sure lots of you guys out there will be um, will have watched it, but I think part three just aired last night. But if you haven't, BBC iPlayer, uh, The Fight on Plastic with Hugh Fernley Whittingstall and Anita Rani, amazing, <laughs> terrifying eye-opener. So for me, I like to think that I'm pretty clued up on sustainability and environmental related stuff and you know i used to work for seaword for two years obviously but i was absolutely jaw dropped moment when um a huge uh, dump truck so huge uh, dustbin lorry dump truck from uh, bristol just unloads a full load of a disgusting heaping mound and the, the guy from the water treatment plant says this is everything that we've collected from the sewers in just the bristol area from only three days and basically it was just a massive pound of wet wipes and your brain just kind of explodes so that was from three days in just one city in the uk and your brain can't even compute how much must be going into the sewers around just the uk alone on an annual basis Mm. and loads of it is ending up in the ocean or costing millions and millions for the councils and the water treatment plants Mm. to remove it we've all probably heard about the fatbergs in london and stuff like that that's when fat mixes with the wet wipes and blocks blocks the sewers, oh, and you disgusting. just it's absolutely it's, disgusting. So it's the cost. The production companies have got to do something and lead the way and find more innovative materials. The waste companies have got to do a better job at recycling what we do throw away into the recycling bin, and then we as consumers need to use our purchasing power and our voices to demand change and obviously buy less single-use plastic. And it's not easy. It's really, really difficult. That's the problem. What's one piece of advice you'd want our listeners to do on the back of listening to this show? For any, I know this uh, podcast is targeted to a lot of, you know, business owners and directors and stuff. So for they, for you guys, I would say, please, please, please don't leave marketing as an afterthought at whatever stage you're at in your business. And I'm saying that because... I mean, if you do, it's actually good for people like me because we're more in demand when you're 
yeah, when you're, you know, X number of years down the line and actually you find yourself needing to play catch up with your competitors, I'm trying to save you money by getting it right at the start. Don't leave it as an afterthought. Marketing is an essential part of your business. It's not a nice to have. If you're not putting yourselves out there, no one's going to you know, hear of you and discover you. So both online and offline is, is super important. And for the average person and consumer out there watching this, I guess the thing that I'd love them to do is to go out there today, right now after listening to this podcast, and make one small change in your life, one small positive change that will reduce your negative impacts on the environment as a person, whether it's um, doing meat-free Mondays or switching up one household item that you buy lots of in a week to a non-plastic alternative. So for example, stop buying toothpaste from plastic tubes and buy dent tabs instead, which are these small pills that you chew up and they turn into a paste in your mouth. Zero waste. It's amazing. I've been using them since December. Uh, Stop buying wet wipes. Definitely don't flush them if you still buy them. Yeah, one small change. And it's at scale when millions of us do it that we can really start making a difference. So never underestimate small actions. (laughs) And where can we learn about you? Where can we find out more? So I'm really active on LinkedIn. So if you search for just Russ Avery on LinkedIn, I will be the first result that comes up. On Instagram for Russ Avery Consulting, it's just at the Russ Avery. And for renewability, it's renewability. So that's T-double-E at the end, dot com. And it's just at renewability on Instagram and Facebook. We're doing the best we can with the time that we've got. <laughs> that's great. Thank you so much for your time today, Russ. Um, it's been so much for me, fascinating. I mean, I've loved it because I've learned loads. I've, I don't know if you noticed it. I've been writing things down. Going, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> free consultancy awesome brilliant thank you so much thank you thanks a lot for having me thank you so much for listening to the end of this episode of the green element podcast do take a moment and share this with your friends and colleagues and rate and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts i'd love to know what has been your biggest takeaway from this conversation what are you going to do differently please share your thoughts across social media and tag us so we can see them too at ge underscore podcast For links and show notes for this episode, visit our website, greenelement.co.uk forward slash podcast. Thank you again. I hope you will join me on the next episode and together we can help create a better world. Mm